Now back to Joseph. Now in contrast to the sexual depravity of Judah, we're going to see Joseph who is an oak, unmovable in temptation when it comes to sexual temptation. And so there's a huge contrast here. So verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and an Egyptian named Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And Yahweh was with Joseph, and he was successful and lived in the household of his Egyptian master. Now, Potiphar is called the captain of the guard or an official. We don't know exactly what that means. It can mean one of two things. It can mean that he's the captain of the bodyguard, so the head of the secret service, so to speak. The, the guy who's in charge of all the soldiers who specifically have one task and one task only, and that's to protect the pharaoh. That's a high position. But most scholars lean towards the fact that he's the head of like the prisoners or all the... So this would be more like the chief of police or the, the, the head of um, the, the prisons and that kind of stuff, which might make sense why the warden in the prison is so willing to roll, roll Joseph up in rank if he knows Potiphar in some way. And we'll develop that more in a little bit later. So either way, he's got a very high-ranking position here. Very high-ranking. And so he's married to a woman, and he recognizes. Now, three times it says that Yahweh was with Joseph, and Yahweh gave him success. So here we see a man who is righteous and faithful to God, and as a result, God blesses Joseph. This is the way that it's supposed to work, unlike the Jacob story. And so he becomes so successful that God has gifted him with wisdom and God is with him that he begins to be so successful in everything he does that Potiphar recognizes that there's something about him and he moves up the ranks and this slave becomes the highest ranking person in the house of the one of the most highest ranking people in the land. Not the, but one of that group of the movers and the shakers. And so he rises up in the ranks, and you think, this is it. This is the dream being fulfilled. This is God blessing him. God being faithful to the faithful. But there's a little catch. Potiphar's wife is pursuing him. And it says day after day after day after day. Now this would be very hard resisting. Because one, Potiphar being a high-ranking guy that he is, is very much likely married to a very beautiful woman. It's just wealthy political celebrities don't typically marry. They marry very beautiful people. She's probably married to, she's part of a noble family. Because powerful political people don't marry down. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying that's the way it is. So she's very beautiful She's very powerful of a noble family. She is the owner of him as a slave. So to say no risk, that's disobeying your slave master. And the Egyptians, if they are wearing clothes, they're very sheer clothes that they might as well not be wearing clothes. So we're talking about a beautiful, pretty much naked woman who owns him and has power constantly throwing herself at him, and he has the ability to say no. Not only no in a sexual temptation way, 
but that it's that important to him that he's willing to disobey his master. But notice the reason that he gives. I don't have the right to sleep with you. I have been given charge of everything except for you. You don't belong to me. The second thing is that this would be a sin against my master. And the third is, this would be a sin against God. That's incredible. This is a sin against God. Love your Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. This is a sin against my master. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you don't belong to me. And day after day after day after day, she just pursues and pursues and pursues. And she won't take no for an answer. And finally, one day, all the other servants are gone. Now, this shows you her audacity, too. Because the fact that it says, on this day, the servants were all gone, implies that all the other days they weren't, which means she's pursuing him when all the other servants are there. Because she doesn't care. She's the master. And finally, it's her opportunity, thinking, well, maybe when we're alone and he's not looking good among everybody, he'll say it now. And this time, she desperately grabs him and says, sleep with me. So there's a desperation about her, which is really odd because she's higher ranking than him, a noble woman, and there's a desperation for her to be with this guy. And maybe it could be that this is just the first time ever that somebody's ever said no to her. And now it's like, I really have to have that now. And realizing that he won't stay with her, knows that it says that he runs, and he flees so quickly that she pulls his cloak off of him. The second time his coat gets him in trouble. So when he's gone now, she, when all the servants come back, she says, look at this man that Potiphar brought in just to humiliate all of us. Now notice that she tries. She probably knows that everybody knows what she's like. So she's trying to get herself on the same level with them. There's no witnesses. It's her word versus his word. So if she can try to identify us, it's, it's us against the master Potiphar. Potiphar has done this to us to humiliate all of us. Now, maybe she's playing on their jealousy that this guy is being promoted as a slave and they're not being promoted and now she's being humiliated. So you're being humiliated by him. I'm being humiliated together. Let's join together and ruin him. And oh yeah, by the way, it's my, my husband's fault. He's the one who brought him here. Marriage counseling. So... <laughs> Now, when Potiphar comes home, she lays the robe out on the bed and does the same thing. You brought this man to shame me. Do something about it. And he throws him in prison. Now, this is the most interesting thing. People who murder and rape don't go to prison. They're executed on the spot. There is no culture in the ancient world who does not execute murderers and rapers, rapists. Especially a slave, foreigner, Semitic dog that is raping a noble woman. Which means Potiphar believed him. 
why he threw him in prison. He believed Joseph enough to throw him in prison, but wasn't willing to risk his career because that would be a social suicide to take the word of a slave over his wife. But knowing what she was like with Joseph means this is probably not her first time. And he probably knows. And he sees who Joseph is. And so he's looking at the reputation of his wife and the reputation of Joseph. And it's probably not hard to figure out who is who. But he's a slave. And she's a noble woman. And he has to do something about it. So he throws him in prison. Because prisoners are where political prisoners go. Well, you don't want to kill them because they'll be a martyr, but you don't want them around anymore. Or he's probably hoping, and it might be why he goes to the warden, who he's the head over, and says, pay attention to Joseph. And maybe why Joseph's able to rise up under the ranks of the warden. And so he takes the word. Now, once again, we have somebody who wants to kill him, the brothers, but the other person, Potiphar, like Judah, who decides to sell him into slavery instead, or prison. And so all the world keeps trying to kill him, but God keeps preserving him. Not happy-go-lucky, but God is with him. And then the chapter ends with we being told that God was with him. And he began to rise in the ranks in the prison, and he was successful in everything that he did. Why is God allowing this to happen? One, God uses suffering to build character. Two, maybe the timing's just not right yet. And three, because he has to be in prison to meet a cupbearer who's going to get him up in the place that he needs to be. Sometimes God puts you in some crappy situations so you can meet the right person who will help continue the will of God on to something else. And so he's in prison. And one day, the cupbearer and the baker come to prison too. Now remember, this is probably more of a political crime because if you've committed any kind of serious crime, you're executed. Usually political prisoners and thieves go to jail. But everybody else, they get executed. So... We're told that the Pharaoh is livid, angry, and in a rage he throws them both into prison. Now this word used of rage is the kind of rage of an, an irrational, emotional temper that flares up super hot and then dies away quickly and replaced with a rational mind. So that means that this is just a fit of emotional rage. They've done something that he doesn't like, and they throw him in prison. And we know that it probably is somebody irrational because he's later going to bring out the cupbearer and say, yeah, I'm going to never react it. I want you back. But the baker, he's like, yeah, you're going to die. So this is definitely emotional imprisonment right now that will logically work itself out in two different results for the two different people. But notice how Joseph was put under the, the cupbearer and the baker, which shows that even as political prisoners, they still outrank him, which just says something about their crime and their punishment too. So this could be just a temporarily, you're not going to prison, you're going to jail, and once we determine whether you're guilty or not through a court, then you'll go to prison or you'll be let free. So this could be more of the idea of jail for them. So yeah, you're in jail, 
but you haven't been convicted yet, so you still outrank this guy. Don't know. Now, who is the cupbearer? He's not the guy who tastes the wine to see if it's poison. Okay? I know that's understand, but first, if you're going to wonder if your wine is poisoned or not, who are you going to use to taste it? Slaves, prisoners, people you don't care about losing. But this is the kind of guy where Pharaoh wants to bring him back out and restore him to a position. That doesn't make sense. Just find another slave, just another prisoner to drink. If all you care, and you wouldn't be so mad at the guy, you would just keep him around and wait till the poison kills him. Okay? Or if you really don't like that guy that you can't wait for your drink to be poisoned, then you kill him yourself or you throw him in prison and you find a new cupbearer that will drink your drinks to find out they're poisoned. But the fact that he brings this guy back out and promotes him says something is more than just a wine taster. Two, the fact that this cupbearer, when everybody is failing to interpret the dreams, Pharaoh, the cupbearer says, hey, there's a Semitic dog that we're all racist towards. He's in prison for raping a noblewoman. You should bring him out and listen to everything he says and run your kingdom the way he says. And Pharaoh's like, okay. Which means the cupbearer is a very well-respected man. The other thing is this word cupbearer is used of Nehemiah. When you get to the book of Nehemiah, we're told that Nehemiah is a cupbearer to Artaxerxes, who is an advisor to Artaxerxes, and such a good advisor that he says, I want to go back to Jerusalem and build the walls. And Artaxerxes says, yes, may God go with you, and I will pay for it all. That's not the guy that you're tasting wine to see if it's poison. The cupbearer is this. Wine was one of the most sacred drinks of the ancient world. It's connected to an abundance. If you can afford wine, then you're wealthy. You're not just trying to survive. You're wealthy. Wine is connected to relaxation and party and joy, but it's also a drink of the gods. You see this with Dionysius of the Greek gods and that kind of stuff. It's a gift of the gods. And so wine is most likely the cupbearer is the guy who makes the wine. And you know that you can trust it because this is your most trusted guy. And he's not just making your food. He's making your wine, which is from the gods. And not only that, he bears the cup, the sacred cup, which usually involves divining the will of the gods. So oftentimes you would look into liquids or something like that, and then you would see an image and the gods would speak to you. So wine is the drink of the gods, so he might cut his hand and bleed into the wine and swore around, and some kind of image appears to him, and then he tells Pharaoh, this is what the gods want you to do. And you listen to him because he's a sacred cupbearer who has some kind of connection to the gods. And so there's a sense that this guy is a very well-respected, well-connected spiritual person who can advise you on what the gods want. And Pharaoh realizes that he's not really that angry at him and wants him back. So they have dreams. The cupbearer has a dream that there's three vines. They're going to be lifted up and they're squeezed out. And Joseph knows, says, don't all dreams belong to Yahweh. He's acknowledging Yahweh as a source of all things. And so this isn't just a man who is righteous. 
This isn't just a man who is God is with him. This is a man who, after being falsely enslaved, falsely accused in prison, has not shook his fist at God and said, forget you. He still acknowledges God. He's obedient to God, and he gives all glory to God. And he says, God is the dream giver, and only God can interpret it. Even though they're going to give him glory, and he passes it all off to God. He says, no, 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 no. This is not about me being a scholar. This is about God giving me a gift. And that's the character of Joseph. So many Christians would shake their fist at God if they were in that circumstances. But that's not Joseph. That's not Joseph. Now, we don't know how long he's in prison before the cupbearer comes, but we know he's in prison for about 13 years total. Well, slavery, prison, 13 years total. (coughs) So, he tells him the dream. The three vines represent three days. In three days, the three vines lifted up means you're going to be lifted up. And then you'll begin to squeeze the wine for Pharaoh once again. Now, if you're the baker, you're probably thinking, ooh, 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 I had a dream of three with what I did. Tell me my dream. Now, the baker is the baker. There's nothing special about him. But he's also the baker in charge of making the Pharaoh's food, which means you're going to trust him too. So he's the baker, and he has three baskets of bread on his head, which the birds begin to eat. And so Joseph says, in three days, your head's going to be lifted up, but not lifted up to a prominent position like the cupbearer, but lifted completely off your head, your body. You're going to die. You're like, oh, man, that would be depressing. And it says the dreams came true exactly as God had predicted. Notice the bread and the wine imagery. The bread is life. And the wine is abundance of life. And you're going to keep seeing this grain and wine, grain and wine, grain and wine, grain and wine coming up over and over and over again in the Bible. Until finally the grain and the wine become the gifts and the signs of the Messiah. The life and life to its abundance. And it's going to become, this is my bread, body, broken for you to give you a new life. This is the wine, my blood, spilled up for you to give you a new life. And one, if you, I don't know if this is true or not, but it is interesting that the bread is being broken in the dream and the wine is being poured out in the dream, which is exactly what Christ is going to say, the bread and the wine of himself. And so there could be a foreshadowing there of what's coming next. And so Joseph says, remember me. When you get up to Pharaoh, and one of the saddest statements is that the cupbearer was restored back to his position of prominence, but he forgot Joseph. And then to continue to that depression, the next chapter says, two years later, it's got to be the most depressing two years there. And you're probably thinking like, okay, Maybe God did put me here so I can meet a good connection. And I've met this connection. He's going back to Pharaoh, and, and now it's like I'm connected now. And Remember me. We're, I'm on LinkedIn, and we're, we're good, and, right? 
And then nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. And then when you least expect it, the connection comes in. But just not the way he thought. And so Joseph now is in prison, completely forgotten. And you begin to wonder if my obedience and loyalty to God is really paying off. Because every time, not only is, this is where it's worse. It's not that my life sucks and nothing good has ever happened. It's that I've gotten good things and then the rug has always been pulled out from underneath me. And then it's almost worse. And he has even more of a reason to hate and resent God. But when he gets out of prison two years later, the first thing he says is, it's not me. It's God. He's the interpreter of dreams. And you see someone who, if anything, the suffering deepens his loyalty and dependence upon God, rather than causing him to walk further away. And it's at this point that you begin to realize, finally, somebody like Abraham, finally, one guy in this family that is not seriously jacked up and dysfunctional, finally, somebody who's getting the Abrahamic covenant. Any questions? I wonder if it's because he spent so much time away from the family. Some possibilities, yeah, he has spent so much time away from the family. Notice he stays home with his dad more, just like Jacob stayed home with his mom more. Well, I mean, he was taken away so young. Oh, yeah. But I also wonder if the Jacob that raised Joseph is a completely different Jacob than raised the other sons. And when Jacob was raising other sons, there was no repentance, there was no crying out to God. Yet when Joseph is young, he's finally repented. He's finally, I mean, yeah, he's got a lot of maturing to do, but he's finally getting it. He's finally making an effort. And so that might be part of it too, is that in some ways when the oldest son is in his 40s and 50s and the youngest is, well, the Joseph is 17, those are two completely different fathers. I almost feel like the father that started raising Natasha, who my daughter is six now, going to be seven, I feel like I'm almost completely different in the way that I'm raising my third one, or just the things that I've learned between number one and number three. And granted, Natasha's still young enough that there's a lot there, but some of the things is like, wow, I've done it differently than I did then. So I can't imagine a 40-year lifespan and how much that has changed him as a father. So yeah, we can go, there's lots of like, maybe, yeah. Or it could just be, it's just him. Sometimes you just wonder, like, these are incredibly godly parents. And one kid, they're, they're like only a year apart from each other. And one kid is great, and the other kid's like, seriously. <laughs> and it could just be the personality. So, yeah. Or it could be that he's been away from his family for long enough. So, but he's different. And God is going to use him. But don't hold out. Because the brothers are going to begin to change too. And they're going to be drastically different by the end of this story as well. Joseph is the son of Rachel. And Rachel was not the godly one Leah was. Yes. It's odd that Joseph is not the son of Leah. Yes. 
which once again could be, well, maybe it's because she died young and didn't have great influence. Could be that maybe she's finally repented and she buried her idols when he told them and so she's a different mother. Or it could be that Jacob just took her away from her more. Or, yeah, it is interesting. But it's not Joseph is going to be chosen to lead the, tri- the nation. It'll be Judah who will be chosen, the descendant of Leah. So when it finally comes down to actually leading the nation of Israel, yes, Joseph is an incredibly righteous man who will save his family, but he will not be chosen by God to lead the family. And, and Jesus comes from Judah. Yes. So ultimately when it comes to the Messianic line, it's Judah, the descendant of Leah, the one that God went and inherited, which even further strengthens that Rachel was never supposed to be married to him. 